0: Do you love books but don't have time to read them? Do you wish you could listen to your favorite stories while driving, working out, or doing chores? If so, you need Audible, the world's largest library of audiobooks and podcasts. With Audible, you can enjoy unlimited access to thousands of titles across genres and categories from bestsellers to classics, thrillers, romance, fiction, and nonfiction. You can also discover new and exclusive content from Audible Originals, featuring original stories and performances by celebrities and authors. Plus. You can download your audiobooks and podcasts offline for listening anywhere, anytime, on any device. And with Audible Plus, you can get even more benefits, such as unlimited listening to select audiobooks and podcasts, free exchanges and returns, and a 30-day free trial. So what are you waiting for? Join Audible today and start your listening adventure. Visit the show notes to support the show and get your free Audible trial today. Thank you for your support.
1: And now, on with the show.
0: Gentlemen, who's an artist that's mostly known for one thing that you wish was remembered for another? You know, when
2: I was thinking about this, and I think when we originally conceived this kind of question and this conversation, it was with the idea of somebody who has two totally different art forms or mediums that they work in. Um, But the more I thought about it, one thing really struck me, um, which is a name you might not think, uh, which is Edgar Allan Poe. Um, and if you're listening to this and you're like, well, why? I know what he does. Uh, yeah, he was a writer. Uh, of course, Poe was a writer, but I think that Poe's bibliography is a lot richer than people realize. Everybody thinks of him as the spooky guy, the horror guy, right? Like, you know, if you go to his uh, you know, his home uh, that they've preserved in Philadelphia, um, a lot of it is with the idea of, like, the black cat, the raven, but Poe was a lot more than just that. I mean, he originated the detective story, right? He he created the detective story. He created, uh, you know, before Sherlock Holmes or anything like that. He wrote essays. He wrote poems. Um, at the Philadelphia home, while it's still got that horror tinge, they've recreated a room that he described in an essay he wrote called The Philosophy of Furniture. He went around debunking automatons. The guy had a, a, such a rich and interesting career as a writer covering a range of different genres he wrote a essentially a fantasy adventure novel but he's only really thought of as ooh the creepy horror guy and uh, in much the same way that like in modern day like people who think of Stephen King probably don't think of an epic fantasy western uh, series of books they think of horror like Poe I I think deserves uh, it deserves to be remembered as a diverse artist and writer rather than just the horror guy my pick for this one is honestly
3: i mean there's so many ways you could have went but it's just uh, a movie came out this year that made me and everybody go oh wow we kind of forgot this guy could do this um you know oppenheimer came out and we all just saw what robert downey jr could do and i think what 15 years of iron man And kind of only Iron Man in that time frame. We all just went like, yeah, he's great and he's charismatic and we like him. But, I mean, I don't know. Maybe he's not acting anymore. Maybe this is just him. Okay, whatever. And then Doolittle happened and it was just like, all right, maybe Downey's really done. And Marvel kind of killed his whole thing, blah, blah, blah. But, fuck, you watch Oppenheimer and you just go, this is the guy. This is the guy who was so electric when he was young who was so electric when Iron Man one first came out and you went, Oh fuck. Wow. Look at what this guy can do. This is like watching Christopher Reeve's Superman for the first time. Or, you know, those movies in the lead up to Iron Man where he was staging his comeback. I, you know, most famously kiss, kiss, bang, bang, where he's just, uh, just stunning finding probably the guy he should always be working with. It should be his McQuarrie. Him and Shane Black are just magic together. That's why Iron Man three is, second or third best marvel movie in, in my opinion um but just oppenheimer made it clear that i think that we all need to put a little more respect on robert downey jr's name and uh, i think he knows that too which is why he does an oppenheimer which is why he's doing that uh park chan wuk miniseries next year and it seems like he's dedicated to acting again and showing what he can do and i'm excited about that because i want him his legacy at the end of the day when he dies hopefully in like another 50 years i hope this guy's acting forever but i hope that when he dies that his he's not just iron man he is just remembered as one of the best actors of his generation
2: Every year since 1989, the Library of Congress has selected 25 films to add to the National Film Registry. The criteria? The films must be culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Each week when We're Missing Out, we take a look at one of these
3: films to try and get to the heart of why they were selected and why they still matter.
0: This week, we're joined by the hosts of the Michaud Mission podcast, Vincent Williams and Len Webb, for 1941's The Blood of Jesus.
2: Our guests today are the hosts of the show Mission, Vincent Williams and Len Webb, join us today to talk about the blood of Jesus. Vincent, Len, thank you guys so much for joining us. Welcome, welcome. Thank welcome. you for having us.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. It's our pleasure.
3: Always nice to branch out our little, uh, little group of guests we like to have on. It's nice to see some <laughs> fresh faces instead of just being like...
2: <laughs> Here's that guy from college. Yeah. yeah uh Vincent, i'm so glad uh to have you guys on to make this happen uh i am i am a fan of your show and in fact there were a couple times i think back in like season one even back in the 2020 pandemic mania where i was kind of just like that'd be cool these would be cool guys to talk to. so i'm glad uh we were, we were able to do this this is very uh very fun
4: oh our pleasure our pleasure hopefully you
2: feel that way at the end <laughs> The uh, blood of Jesus has brought us together. There you go. Mr.
1: <laughs> Williams would be happy.
2: There is a moment from one of uh, one of your episodes that I think of uh, a fair amount. I can't hear a title of the movie without it. I I forget which one it was, but you guys, I don't know, somebody contacted you and said, like, oh, you know what would be a good movie for you to cover? would be Death by Temptation. And I mm. remember, like, one, one of you, I forget who it was, one of you reads the message and goes, Death by Temptation. That would be good. It's so good. We did it. We did it already. You can Google. You can look it up. We did it years ago.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I think of... You know,
4: people hey, get in movie. where
2: they fit in. They don't know. I don't know. Good movie. Sadly, we won't be covering it, I don't think, but... uh I, I that was I swear. Troma distributed that at one point. No, by temptation. No. <laughs> I I swear because I, I I was an intern at Troma, and I remember like in their, uh, in their warehouse they had all the DVDs that they used to sell, and uh-huh. the DVD, and there's this sell- shelf of like DVDs they don't sell anymore because they don't actually distribute it, because like my neighbor Totoro is sitting there. People don't realize okay. Troma was the original distributor of My Neighbor Totoro. Get wow! The air. Yep, <laughs> yep. That Go, is a... yeah. Go out to Long Island City, sneak into that old Chinese fortune cookie factory, and uh, <laughs> you will. That's dead serious. That's what it was. That trauma office. I don't know if they still are, but when I was an intern there, Troma had bought an old Chinese food uh, fortune cookie facility, and that was like where they filmed. That was where the offices were, and that was where the warehouse was. And you would just go down, and like you would still see remnants of this factory, and then the Toxic Crusaders suit somewhere.
1: I was about to say, did they did they distribute this because they had plans to do a sequel? Uh, My neighbor Totoro versus the Toxic Avenger.
2: Uh I mean, knowing them, they probably would have tried to make it a Sergeant Kabuki Man sequel. Just listen, this was them in the you know in the in the eighties. Not yeah, people forget that movie happened. I don't. Bye.
4: I love Sergeant Kabuki Man.
2: You know, listen,
3: I could see a crossover. Miyazaki's very uh, environmentalist. Yeah, that's true. Toxic Avengers very environmentalist. It would definitely bring the much needed element of sexual assault into the uh, Miyazaki verse. (laughs) You know, one of the few elements of Japanese filmmaking he hasn't dived into yet. But um,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. Get some tentacles.
3: then again, he's got a new movie coming out. He's gonna do another one because he doesn't he want doesn't, Goro to ruin his reputation.
2: Stop. Have well, you guys? His I don't know if y'all,
3: son keeps making movies, so he's got to keep going.
2: I don't know if you guys heard that—that that he was like this whole thing they were building up was like "Boy in the Heron." This is gonna be his last film. This is gonna be his last film. We've been waiting for years. It's gonna be his last film. The minute it debuts, he's yeah, I like, "I don't know. I still got ideas. I'm still yeah." <laughs> On the red carpet at Venice, his producer's like, oh no, yeah. yeah, he came into
3: the office this weekend is like, all right, we're gonna make a new movie. And everyone's just like, fucking come on, man.
1: This, <laughs> this one took you 10
3: years. You're 82.
1: Right, right. Look, man. Look, he got that max money now. So he's like, yo, I'm gonna keep pumping these things out. Well, I That's just right. like
2: that I just I just like that um, you know. They always referred to Miyazaki as as Japan's Walt Disney, and much like Walt Disney, he is going to rage smoke and hold on to that company with an iron fist until he shuffles off this mortal coil. I think it's admirable. really, they're following him. Yeah, uh, but,
3: then, but then when he does, he's got to deal with the legacy of his fail son taking over <laughs> and yeah. ruining his reputation until... I don't know. The Japanese. It's actually. Of Bob Ma- Mike, I was, the show.
2: Oh, I was going to say Michael Eisner. This Japanese Michael Eisner. Uh, Eisner, Yeah. Um, Japanese yeah. Michael Eisner. Which all we of this. Track. The Trauma talk actually does weirdly fit into what we're here to talk about today. I know that sounds odd, but it kind of does because, you know, uh, Trauma is, you know, the the longest produced, you know, uh, still operating independent studio in America. And one thing, if you've ever been on a Trauma shoot, is it is the scrappiest of indies, right? Like it is, mm-hmm. and people who like trauma movies and are, are drawn to trauma movies or anything like that, the the kind of scrappiness and the ingenuity of it is part of the appeal, mm-hmm. right? And, and looking at like how they did these things, how they stole these shots or how they did these things, that's part of the appeal. And obviously what we're talking about today, um, you know, Spencer mm-hmm. Williams, you want to talk about independent filmmaking and you want to talk about, you know, I mean, listen... I did some stuff with trauma. Sometimes you're stealing shots as in you're going to a location you don't have a permit for. Spencer Williams was just straight up going, I want some, some spiritual figures walking around. I saw this 1911 silent film. I'm exactly. going to take this shot. I'm literally <laughs> yeah. going to take the shot. And I'm just yeah. going to oh, yeah. put it on top uh, of the footage. And And
3: I love that shit because it's almost like, I don't know, cosmic or whatever, because he took it from an Italian movie and then the Italians just became like, that's like half of their budget is just, we're going to steal from other movies or just name (laughs) our movies a sequel to a movie that's not, oh yeah, we're Dawn of the Dead (laughs) 2. Are you? No. Oh, we're Draws 5. No, (laughs) we're not.
1: What you don't realize is that Spencer Williams was before your eyes creating hip hop. Because he was there taking, go. he was taking from something That's else, true. flipping it, remixing it a little bit, and putting a little dash of that of that that sweet blackness on it, and now it's something wholly original, wholly different, and something that you really appreciate. Ain't nobody checking for Leferno from nineteen eleven. <laughs> Ain't nobody checking for that. But you check it for the blood of Jesus. Everybody need the blood of Jesus in their life.
2: And also, you know, one of the things, and we'll get more into this, the other thing to talk about Spencer Williams and uh, you say, you know, uh, originated hip hop. I always think about, um, you know, when I was like in in middle school, high school was when like the, it was kind of the end of the peak of what they, you know, what uh, frightened correspondents on TV called, you know, the gangster rap. And you had what they called Mm. the conscious rappers, but at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, one of the fun things about that would be these guys who would come and go, listen, I'm I'm out here making music about positivity and this and that. Yeah, no, no. no. Sometimes I will uh, do a lot of sensationalist stuff, but that's just to teach a lesson. And Spencer that's Williams right. the same way is like, this is a religious movie. This is about Jesus. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you that in hell, that's where all the loose women are and the blues yeah. music and the jazz music. And I'm going to make sure you see that for 10 whole minutes. So that right, you know right. it's bad. And I got to tell you, listen, for, honestly, it really made me rethink my life. Because I'm like,
3: listen, if that's where I'm going, if that's hell, and I'm probably going there, uh, I got to get there quicker. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Like,
4: I, I think that's the great irony of, of this and the, the film that follows it, Go Down Death. Just yes. what you said. Like, the liveliest parts are the parts that we're not supposed to be drawn to. <laughs> it's like no no, don't you want to be down at the lake and get baptized and have these droning moaning spirituals or it's it's straight up earth? just
3: Dewey Cox, you don't want no part of this shit. <laughs> right
4: right no i
3: I think i kind of want it no i do right yeah
4: like certainly you're not drawn to a beautiful woman who's a contortionist
3: (laughs) why would i want anything to do with that i'm a simple man of simple pleasures well (laughs) i don't need
2: contorting blues it's
3: just harlots
2: it's so funny because (laughs) he i think he's aware of that and he knows what he's doing um i'll talk about this more later but like in spencer williams later film dirty Gertie of harlem usa Mm -hmm. there is a great gag, because there's this woman and an incredible actress, great performance in it, who is doing these kind of saucy shows, and there's a priest and his assistant, and the priest is, like, trying to condemn them, and his assistant just keeps going, now, Father, I I hear you, those shows, we have to warn the congregation not to go, but don't you think it would be better for me to see it so I can warn them? That <laughs> I, don't, Father, don't you? And it's like, and the, the assistant is this like young, like 20 something who is clearly, and but father, I mean, surely father, shouldn't I know what they're doing in there so I can. Pre- right, right. So you get the sense from something like that, that with Williams, now, I obviously, I don't know how spiritual Spencer Williams hisel- himself was, um but you do get the sense that obviously his funding came from religious groups with this film you do kind of right. get the sense that it's like maybe 50-50 like hey i want to make a positive film also listen i know where my bread is buttered i right. got to i got to frame this the way i got to but also right. you know um but it also i'm i'm excited to talk about this with you guys because um i think spencer williams is a very interesting contrast to the namesake of your show with Oscar Michaud, uh, especially especially their views on religion uh, and their views on uh, that. Um, So why don't we, before we even get into this more, because you mentioned you had covered one uh, film on your show, why don't we talk a little bit up top about what you guys have been doing on the Michaud mission and what kind of your angle you come at the history of cinema from, if you guys don't mind speaking about that a bit and how you guys got that started. Um, Well, yeah, so... The Michelle mission really
1: was born out of the idea of taking black cinema and really giving it a um, putting it through a critical lens that it usually doesn't happen. Like Spencer Williams, uh, for example, most people know him as one half of Amos and Andy from TV from back in like the uh, early 50s and um into the 60s but he had this whole world this whole uh career as an actor and director in in black cinema from from this time from the 40s and people don't know about that and black films usually are just they're just lumped as black films and they're not appreciated for the 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 documenting of the black experience of 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 our thoughts, our loves, our joys, um, our pain that they really have been since the dawn of the uh, movie experience with Oscar Michaud and uh, Spencer Williams. And we wanted to do a show that honored that legacy uh, in the Michaud mission where Vincent and I sit down every week and we review a different black film every week and give them like, We'll call it spade a spade. If a movie is not good, we'll call it not good, but we we will still give it its just due as a piece of art that is out there for people to appreciate, for people to actually take in um, and uh, appreciate the, that these creatives have come together to present this project out there to the world. And the most, the dumbest, silliest, most pieces of shit um, films that are put up by, uh, with all due respect, white people, get mad fucking love, and they're on USA Today at nauseum on on rotation, left uh, all over the, the freaking place. Yet, you know, something as brilliant as Cooley High, something as brilliant as Friday. Um, really doesn't get that appreciation that say, oh what was that dumb movie? Um, what was that dumb movie? Vince, where the, the chick gets gets cum in her hair, and now her hair is all stuck up straight. Something, something about, about Mary. Mary. Something about Mary. Everybody goes on and on about freaking something about Mary. It. it, it a piece of garbage and an a American pie about some dick and some American pie. Well, I heard him curse, so I'm cursing. So, like, hey, so, fucking lay it up, man. I don't give
2: a fuck. You yeah. can curse, but please, I am begging you, do not say because Tom does something, I can do it. That's a bad way to lead your life. I promise you.
3: <laughs> that'll get you to that'll get you to blues hell if you follow my lead. <laughs> Well,
1: I'm following
4: you with there, contortionist. man. Because, and hell yeah,
1: let's go. Because I'm i I'm down with a contortionist because she was doing <laughs> she would do a one-handed backstands there. I was like, yo, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> dude? I,
3: I, Ready to get disappointed tonight, baby? Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so that's I mean, that's what we do. We and we have fun. We've been doing it for now going on seven years. Um, it's a blast. I get together with my buddy every week and it's uh usually the highlight of my week is just what's
3: it. so, happened. It's yeah. funny because this is the second time today I've heard Cooley High mentioned
2: which is, you know, hey, more more of the merit, you know. Cooley High recently in the national film registry. That's I true. was about to say it falls under your purview. Got got inducted I think two years ago, right? It wasn't two? this yeah, past so... year, but last year. The preview.
1: last year. Last year. Yeah. The, that movie should have should have been in the film registry but Easily 20, 30 years ago.
3: Well, you know, it's funny because me and Mike, uh, the last few years, we've been talking about this every year. Uh, we do an episode when the picks drop at the end of the year. And um, the last few years, we've noticed because there was, you know, kind of a public outcry about how the canon was being treated and everything. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. can even see in the, the, the picks the last few years, they have been making a very, like, concerted effort. You yes. start putting things in that are broader than just like, you know, white, sh- you know, movies. And, They're and, putting in stuff like Cooley High or uh, documentaries or. Or more importantly,
2: happened. our biggest reaction. Because the thing is, on our registry episodes, we don't know what got in.
0: We yeah, find Kyle out the list went, went up. Blind. Yeah. We
2: keep our heads down. Kyle reads them to us. And one of the most joyous moments we've ever had—it's a delayed reaction as we both process it—is just on the episode. Kyle going from nineteen ninety house party, <laughs> and we we both right. had a pause before we just start going like the kid the kid and play house party the kid yeah okay okay yeah right let's do well,
1: it you know why because because your brain has to has to the check itself did Gerard
2: Dipper do, do the right? house yeah, party in yeah, yeah.
1: 1908? Oh, right. Oh, but
4: it, right. It is, certainly they can't be the house party I'm thinking about.
2: Especially because that year, <laughs> last year, was mostly the bleakest movies. Like it was, you know, a movie about the the Manzanar Japanese internment camp mm. and about, you know, it's like, it was, they were all uh, really, really set. Um, Wasn't uh, last
3: year Titticut Follies? Titticut
2: Follies, uh Wow. Tongues untied, like a lot of stuff that is just like heavy, heavy shit. And then, <laughs> and so then after all of that heaviness to just hear House Party, you have a moment where you go, is this the part where you tell me this is some like underseen UCLA documentary about a house that burned down? I don't want to get happy if you're going to tell me this isn't the kid. In-. Plus then, if it is, you look like the-, the silliest person if they're like, you know, House Party, the stirring documentary and you're like, oh, with Kid and Play? They do the kick with their legs. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 dad is watching. The, oh, now I just completely forgot. Is it Dolomite? Dolomite. Dolomite. It is Dolomite. Yeah, he's watching Dolomite. He's watching Dolomite. Yeah. yeah. Um, the movie that introduced the after credit scene. Yes.
1: <laughs>
3: gotta get uh, gotta get gotta get Rudy's movies into absolutely. the fucking registry, man.
2: Um, on that last thing, that thing you said, it just made me think. And this is a thing. I was out uh, this weekend at the uh, here in New York. They do a thing called the Parade of Trains, it's mm-hmm. where they run old vintage trains. And there was a gentleman standing there uh and and we started oh i was wearing like a simpsons t-shirt he responds my simpsons t-shirt and then he goes all right i have a shirt he goes that i get react because i was talking about sometimes people see it's a most tavern shirt and they go where is that like it's a real bar (laughs) and he goes he goes i'll tell you one that i do he goes but you may not know this he goes did you ever hear of a show called the different world and i went (laughs) i went yes, as a child, I admired Dwayne Wayne. I had the sunglasses. I still have them somewhere. And he took a beat where he goes, all right, I'm not sure how you're going to feel about this. He goes, I have a Hillman College sweatshirt that I wear specifically to confuse white people. He goes, I go out (laughs) and I wear it. And when people go, where is that? I go, it's an HBCU in Virginia. And they all go, I've heard of it. He's like, that's all I do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh... So he goes, he goes, he goes. Yeah, you don't. He goes. I don't run across a lot of, of white people who know that show. And I, I said, of course I know it. Marissa Tomei, uh, she was the lead, well, right? There, Marissa there you go. That's that's why Perfect. I know. Of course, it was the, <laughs> the the whole one season she was on it. Um, I was going to say, everyone loves the first
4: season of Different World.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Um, speaking of, speaking of Cooley High, I remember the first time I saw it and just went, oh, this is what Good Times was. Got it. This was what. Uh, you know, with the, uh, the uh, no, not good. To, which one's? How am I forgetting this? What's Happening? What's Happening is the one that's in happen- on yeah. high. Yes. That's right. Yes. Uh, because they stole Doobie Brothers' bootlegs. I saw that episode that's, way too many times right. as a kid. That's right. I can't look. That's right. I cannot hear Doobie Brothers without thinking of which Doobie Ubie. I still think about it. It's lodged <laughs> in my my stupid. I'll not remember my, if I have kids, I won't remember their birthdays, but I'll remember which Doobie Ubie. Uh, which brings us somehow back to blood of jesus uh but it does which, uh, it all comes just, back uh, to
3: the blood oh, oh. it all comes back to the blood of jesus um, um
2: i was actually just
3: just because i was i was curious uh at this point in the registry unless i my eyes are overlooking something this is the second um black movie inducted third. into the registry third well third. it's um killer of sheep So What's the second the f- one?
2: that was the weird thing is is for the first 3 years of the registry they basically just went you get one, because yeah. the first year was the Learning
0: Tree. Mm-hmm. Oh, first yes, year I missed, I missed, they, they missed, choose missed, the Learning uh, yeah.
2: Tree, which okay, you know when you look at that, you're like that makes sense. It's the first you know major studio film directed by a black director. The second year, Killer of Sheep. Okay, obviously you know, especially because you can tell the mindset at that time is, hey, this movie can never get shown anywhere because of music rights. Nice. Let's preserve it to make sure it doesn't get lost forever. This year, uh, the third year of the registry, they induct The Blood of Jesus. Um, And I think part of that is because this film was lost until the 80s, Mm -hmm. where you discovered that Texas archive, um, uh, the Tyler, Texas warehouse. Um, But one of the things that is interesting, talking about your podcast in particular, the thing that always strikes me odd is that Spencer Williams gets a film in before Oscar May Show. I know. Yeah. We'll be talking yeah. about Within Our Gates next year. That's a Michaud film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that Blood of Jesus gets in before. I, I find that so interesting because that's certainly not when you talk about like historic black directors. Now, a Michaud's name, I think, comes up first. Yeah. For, for most film history fans. So
4: Sure. Yeah. You, you know, I, I think and and certainly at that moment that you're talking about where it's just the third year. I think Oscar Micheaux. So, what year are we talking about
2: when we're 91. saying the third year? Nineteen ninety-one. Like,
4: even in nineteen ninety-one, I do think that as the years have gone on, Oscar Micheaux has been honored more. But I do think he was literally this disruptive figure. Yeah. You know, he's kind of doing this stuff on his own. You know, as you mentioned. Uh, this film and Go Down Death, as well as the third film in this trilogy, are 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 um financed by these religious people, and, and you know, and so y- you mentioned how it was it was almost this wonderful kind of intertextual conversation between Williams and Michelle, where there was a lot of the you know the powers that be, both black and white. That thought that Michelle kind of had, you know, it was it was it was like sex and drugs, and it was anti-religious, and mm-hmm. you know, he's doing all this stuff, and even within our gates, even at the time, people saw that as a direct response to Birth of a Nation. Yeah. So it it, it actually doesn't surprise me. I would argue that there was a sort of institutional memory in 1991, where Williams is a a safer choice yep. than Michelle.
2: I mean, he is, to, to be clear, he's, he's fascinating in his own right. I know, I, truthfully, I, I mean, uh, Jacqueline Stewart uh, is on the Kino Lorber Pioneers of African American Cinema box set talking mm-hmm. about, like, why she's so intrigued by Spencer Williams because the other element of Spencer Williams, as, as you know, you guys acknowledged, um, you know, he... I don't want to say to most people he's known as one half of Amos and Andy because, quite frankly, to people like under 30 now they don't don't know know. what that is yeah right right. and and in a lot of senses probably don't need to you know there are certain things there are a lot of cultural things from the past and i don't mean that in like a you know just because of the content but also just there are so many sitcoms and things that you just look at now and go i don't know if i'm really going to get mad that today's kids don't know gilligan's island i think we can i think culturally <laughs> we're okay if they don't know the love boat we're good um but well, you know, whoa well, whoa well,
1: now you overstepped
2: oh that's, that's <laughs> about, uh i mean listen i'm shocked they haven't rebooted the love boat yet because you know that every network is like we can make the tagline exciting and new we don't mm-hmm. have to work this is so right easy. right right um but you know in terms of williams yeah he was an actor and mm-hmm. you Contrast to look at the roles that he was playing for mainstream, you know, white cinema and television that are, in a lot of cases, so reductive. And, and to his credit, he even tried to soften things a little mm-hmm. bit there, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a clip from a film that, like, when you watch it sans context, and you find out he kind of, like... I don't know if he necessarily changed the line or had that willingness, but just there's a, I forget what film it is, but he's got like a one scene scene where he pops in and he like is giving the main white characters a chicken uh-huh. and he's mm-hmm. like, Oh, they gave me uh, two chickens and okay. Yeah. Uh, you guys want this one. I don't really like chicken. And like, right. you know, I was, I forget which historian I was listening to talk about it. Who was just like, I feel like you guys don't understand. <laughs> What a what a in in nineteen thirty something. What a small victory that is. That is right, (laughs) right, exactly. um, But to look at what he has to do there, and then to realize that rather than just be doing that or anything like that, that he is using that and using some of the money he makes from that and all that to come into you know the you know a more independent cinema space, and Mm -hmm. not only direct these films but also be working with inexperienced actors, amateur actors, and teaching them while making the films. There's mm-hmm. um, one of his films, Jack Stewart uh, pointed this out brilliantly you know, in his film Juke Joint. Mm-hmm. He creates a premise where he is a con man pretending to be an acting teacher, teaching this girl to act to build money, but you're actually watching you know, Hollywood actor Spencer Williams teaching. teach this young woman to act right 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 it's very it's very kind of cool what he was doing in that space right and i think that to watch the film divorced of that context of his hollywood experience and all yeah you might watch this and kind of just go yeah this is a spiritual movie right this is a you know god lesson movie but to think about like what what he was having to go through outside of this and what he was choosing to come and do i think is a really interesting way to look at this film
3: and I, I think that's probably a big reason why he got in this yeah. early, um, mm-hmm. not just in terms of it being such like a feel, feeling like a landmark independent movie in its way, but just that dichotomy of what he was doing as an actor. And you would just think like, Oh, this guy's doing this bullshit comedy. Like who, like whatever, who cares? And then to, you know, that he's got this other life that he's this real kind of forward thinking, in kind of ingenious artists being able to bring some real interesting stuff out of essentially nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this right? Is, I mean, you look at, I mean, it's Wikipedia. Who the fuck knows? But like, uh, five thousand dollar budget for this movie. I mean, goddamn, he he made he made a pretty good looking movie for five thousand dollars. Where you know you, you go to hell. yeah like that's that's yeah it's pretty good even if you're and you know again pretty ingenious to just be like hey who gives a shit about this 1911
4: italian (laughs) right right let's
3: like let's repurpose this shit like that is like a thing that has kind of become a part of you know cinema history in a way some people do that and get away with it you know and like you said hip-hop was kind of born out of not kind of hip-hop was born out of that you know so remixing things was I mean, back then, that's you know that's kind of crazy thing. So he, I,
1: he's, he's taking that five thousand dollar budget and he's doing a movie for every hand you see that is actually closing the door behind somebody. There is still somebody else. There is a a, a person laying still on a bed, and then their spirit is seen walking out of the yeah. bed. Yeah, you know, um, this is. In in, in nineteen forty one on a five thousand dollar budget for an a black direct writer director with a a novice crew along with the the cast to just have that level of effect, you know, and pull that off in the oh, yeah. film. That is that is, mean, is saying something.
2: And I want to speak I mean, to
1: the let- crew. Oh.
3: Well no cuz I was going to like last week we did an episode uh we recorded an episode about uh Sherlock Jr where there's a similar uh, visual effect where he goes to sleep and you see his you know spirit walking around mm-hmm. and everything and you're like mm-hmm. all right that's pretty crazy for what was it what, what was the year that m- one Mike 1920 what
2: 1920
3: 24. Okay, 1924. Okay, that's kind of crazy that he came up with that in 24. But it's a Buster Keaton movie. They've got a budget. They could probably take as much time as they want getting that shit right. Right. These fucking guys, like five thousand dollars. They're amateurs. They they may know Buster Keaton did it, so we can probably figure it out. But they don't got as much time to figure it out because they don't have as much money to figure it out. So that they even got it and it looks good. Yeah, I mean, right. Bravo fucking vote like 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 they're probably people with people with iPhones so they wouldn't be able to figure that out fucking Mm -hmm. nepo baby dipshits over at the Venice Film Festival are probably Mm -hmm. having a hard time figuring that shit out so you know
4: well that's actually part of the reason I almost give him a pass with the the Italian film footage because if you tell someone okay well you know some of this footage he you know lifted from this other film you almost have to say which part
0: yeah, yeah. because it yeah. all
4: goes together so seamlessly. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You,
3: know, you, this,
4: you know, this otherworldly effect that he has in, you know, that he connects to the parts, as you said, that
1: he does. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's not like he's, he, he clipped a piece of like a, uh... Citizen Kane and dropped it in the middle. Of the- it's not <laughs> like
2: uh, it's not like when you watch like Turkish Star Wars uh, oh, exactly. or any of those, exactly. where it's just clearly the Millennium Falcon. Um, I right. want to get into the crew because there is an interesting fact on the crew. But one thing I haven't done yet, which we normally do <laughs> earlier on, but we got so caught up in this and I love it, is is uh, read the registry statement. Okay. So before okay. uh, we talk any more about what we think of the blood of Jesus, here's what the Library of Congress had to say. Also known as the Glory Road. This was among approximately 500 race movies produced between 1915 and 1950 for African-American audiences and featuring all black casts. In this film, a deeply devout woman, Catherine Kavanagh, faces a spiritual crossroads after being accidentally shot and is forced to choose between heaven and hell. Spencer Williams, who wrote, directed, and starred in the film, produced the film in response to a need for spiritually based films that spoke directly to black audiences. Long thought lost, prints were discovered in a warehouse in Tyler, Texas in the mid-1980s. So that's what they said. And I do think there's something interesting about, you know, speaking directly to black audiences. I'll talk to it in a sec. But one thing I wanted to note, we're talking about the crew. The cinematographer on this film was named Jack Whitman. This was his first credit. But Jack Whitman went on to work in the industry for a long time. Most of the people in the cast of this film never worked again or anything like that. But Jack Whitman worked in the industry for so long... And last lived so long that he has credits on The Dukes of Hazard, Hawaii 5.0, the Amazing Spider-Man TV series, and Hill Street wow. Blues. Wow. So wow. you can look up the exact episodes, but if you fire up Hill Street Blues or Hawaii 5-0, there is a chance you're watching an episode shot by the guy who shot the blood of Jesus. Just the wow. idea
3: of the guy who shot this having to interact with boss hog. <laughs> I mean, that's the level of mad libs that you you just have to go, there's gotta be something out there just kind of throwing shit against a dartboard. Like that's not an accident. That's something to make people like idiots like us
2: laugh. Just like, wait, what? <laughs> So that's, I mean, what? Really, I love the framing it because you do have to imagine that there's Jack Whitman remembering like Spencer mm-hmm. Williams going. So this is obviously, you know, the blood is going to drip on her, which is a symbol of redemption. Cut to. Right. So you got to film the car jumping because that's when we're going to pause it and say those Duke boys are at it again. You're going to need mm-hmm. to just. Yeah. Oh, or yeah. Just like to, just imagining him on
3: set of Hill Street Blues thinking about, you know, shooting some of the crazy stuff he shot on this on the blood of Jesus. As fucking David Milt shows up, coked out of his mind, <laughs> screaming about whatever the fuck, whatever debt he got into last night because some horse didn't win a race. And he's just like, you know, I made cinema history. and every-
4: I'm thinking he's on the set of the Spider-Man show in the 70s. And somebody's bitching about how they can't do the special effects because they don't have the budget.
2: Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, one thing I was thinking about when it says, speaking directly to, directly to black audiences, I read something, uh, I was remember reading something, this is a, forever ago that I was reading it about this film and about race films in general and about how you should watch race films and particularly like how you have to condition yourself to watch them in a way. Because they were talking about the idea of, you know, obviously we talk about race films, we talk about the separate cinema and it's not just, you know, with, with black films, we covered Tevye, the Yiddish language film this mm. year. There is, mm-hmm. there is a lot of cinema, you know, pre 1950 that was, you know, different groups in the United States making their own films for their own audiences. Now, obviously yeah. they didn't get the budgets of Hollywood or, or, or the respect or prestige for they existed. And now when we watch these films, Even if, I mean, obviously, you know, for for, uh, somebody like myself, who is, you know, uh, uh, about as pale as one can get, I own that fully. uh, You know, there's obviously that element of, like, trying to connect that. But they argued for any kind of audience, you are so conditioned to the idea that films are made to be consumed by everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That when you see something, you automatically jump to, um, well, is this racist was a white person involved in creating this or is a white person going to perceive this in a prejudiced way or anything like that and you know because it i I was thinking about it with this you know when it talks about those there's that opening monologue talking about where is god you know the man used to go to church and now he likes to sit by the river and all of that and you know especially with this podcast we have to do a lot of films that have um, not aged great in terms of their treatment of, of other people and so you have that reflex when you see these things right to just assume that it is being directed in a in a prejudiced way or anything like that but the essay kind of argues when you're watching race films you have to remember this was being made by black filmmakers for black audiences and not being made with an interest a lot of times toward like well we have to make sure that the white audiences understand this, right? We have to make sure that this is done in a way that it's not misinterpreted. We have to have, you know, we talked about it with Tevya as well. You know, it's a Yiddish film that is dealing with Jewish culture and it doesn't take a break to kind of turn to the camera and go, this is a mezuzah. I touch it when I come into my house. Right. Mm -hmm. And with what Spencer Williams is doing or any of these kind of race films. And obviously there were earlier films that Spencer Williams make and others make that, were playing to a wider audience and do contain a lot of stereotypes, but that the argument it makes, especially with a film like this is like, you can talk about it as reductive for it's time, tempo- but it's important to remember, like this was not made. These films were not made for white consumption, for a broader audience consumption. They were made. No, there, with was the no, idea of-
3: there was no stockholders meeting saying yeah. we got to hit the floor. That's right. what I'm it's, saying. You know, and it's, it's right. You know, they-
2: so I right. just, which is good. I thought that you was know, a very interesting kind of point with any of these films that we're talking about is like, the need. I don't know how you I mean obviously you guys talk about the the whole spectrum of black cinema on your podcast. Sure. And I was wondering sure. if you kind of encounter that like having to sort of put yourself in the time when you're watching films from this era.
4: Well, well, I think you you absolutely do and and you know we've mentioned Oscar Micheaux just just broadly and and just last week Lynn and I joked about his penchant to have lighter-skinned actors in certain roles. And, you know, certainly some of the critique of of some of his films has been this kind of color dynamic Mm -hmm. where, you know, darker skinned black people play roles that they're not as intelligent or they're evil. And this is, again, the argument, this is reflective of a sort of Mm intra-racism that you see that a white audience may miss completely because this is like family stuff. And I, I, even with this film, something that I, that I thought was fascinating that an audience in 1941 may have caught Spencer Williams character before he has his come to Jesus moment. You know, he's sort of set up as this, you know, he's not religious. He's, he's, you know, he's kind of of the world, but I thought it was fascinating that he wasn't a good hunter. (laughs) Like, they have this moment at the beginning where you find out that he's stolen some pork Mm -hmm. from his neighbor instead of he was out hunting. And even what gets the plot going, that he kind of puts this rifle down and accidentally shoots his wife. And I got the, you know, what I got from that is that this is a man who is so far removed from the right path that he doesn't do anything right. And a man in 1941 would know how to handle a rifle. Yeah. He would be a, a, a good hunter. He would be able to provide. And that, in in my interpretation, was this audience is mostly either still a rural Southern audience, or they're an audience that are you know a few years removed from that. Like we moved to Harlem five years ago, but we're still country people. Yeah. And I thought that was a great detail that this Spencer Williams character didn't know his way around a rifle.
2: Yeah, I
1: I, yeah. just speaking of that, that, it's that he doesn't know his way around a rifle, but you said it, he is a man that doesn't know his way around a rifle. I think um, mm-hmm. in, certainly in a lot of Oscar Micheaux films, not all of them, but a lot of Oscar Micheaux films, the characters are a black man. Right. It is, he, you, you know, he, he he is black. You know, Oscar wants you to know he's he's black because he has something to say ab- about this experience that he wants the world at large to a, to take in. Spencer Williams just wants to tell a story and he wants to tell a story about a man who happens to be black, who's dealing with this situation because. At the end of the day, especially when you're talking about the this trilogy of spiritual films, the first the first prong on it is that they're spiritual it and it and that is steeped in the Christianity, which doesn't know any color it now you the practicing of it may look slightly different um, depending on your upbringing. But at the end of the day, the tenets of it are all the same. You know, you're getting baptized. You're 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 praising the book you, the Jesus. The you got a picture of Jesus on your wall, um, and it, it it's a story that anybody can get in and 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 take in if you want. However, he sets it in a world that is unapologetically black and doesn't give you any shorthand to how you can come into it but if you come into it open minded you just find a very nice interesting uh moral um, to to take in well you know that's that that
3: was interesting too because um i didn't know anything about the movie coming in when i don't know what uh if i haven't heard of the title before we're get, about to get to it i just go in blind i don't want i don't want to yeah. research before i see it and I like having it kind of just hit me the first time, and uh, just watching it the first time, I just like knew like, oh, okay, this is clearly an independent film. This must be it. We must be talking about it this year because it's probably an independent film made by a black guy. Because look, it's all black people in a black and white movie from the '40s. You know, it's not it's not made by a white guy because if it was a cast of all black people, it would actually be a cast of all white people in blackface. So um, I, I knew that, and I think I think what's really sm- an interesting thing about like the writing and direction and everything of all this, that makes it interesting is that he's not doing a four quadrant thing where it's gotta be explained to everybody, but it's so deceptive in its simplicity that you can just, you know, not only am I a white man, I am not a man from 1940s, Texas. Mm -hmm. I am not getting all of the little intricacies of the world, but
1: Mm -hmm. at the
3: end of the day, when that whatever 65 minute runtime is up, i get it like i got yeah. it i'm like oh okay yeah like no i get it like so i think in in terms of that and it, it's impressive he was able to do that without um sacrificing any of the voice of uh african-american filmmaking and what and storytelling mm-hmm. and whatnot um i also think it's kind of fascinating too in 1941 independent or not main character is a woman yep that yeah. is uh um, yeah yeah that is very mm-hmm. uh interesting especially especially in a post uh, haze code world
0: mm-hmm. where
3: you know we mentioned i forget what episode um that the only female director in the 1950s studio system was Ida Lupino you Ida know Ida Lupino my w- girl <laughs> w- women weren't get you know this wasn't a thing before the haze code women were making movies writing directing starring and stuff and women were starring and stuff obviously but Things shifted, and uh, I I I appreciate it more that it's about a woman's journey through all of this than uh, her her large adult failed son of a husband.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so interesting to look at this too. I mean, I I first discovered the film. Uh, I I'm trying to in my head remember which came first, how I encountered the title. I remember that there was that one year that Slate put out the Black Film Canon that 50 yes. film list mm-hmm. and the earliest two films on it were within our gates and the blood of jesus mm-hmm. that might have been where i first encountered in the title the other one uh which is kind of the, the weird elephant in the room if you're a real hardcore film nerd is of course spike lee kickstarted a movie called the blood mm-hmm. of jesus which was his, yeah, his the remake sweet of jesus. His, the sweet blood of jesus which was his like quasi ganja mm-hmm. and hess remake but yep. oh he ne- Oh who can forget the Kickstarter
3: video? <laughs> yes. Where Spike was <laughs> clearly drunk out of his mind.
2: just <laughs> the uh, initial Kickstarter where he just pops up and he goes, I'm making a movie. It's called The Sweet Blood of Jesus. It's about vampires. I saw that Veronica Mars did this, so we're going to do this. Here's the door of 40 acres and a mule. That's where the title's going to go under Old Boy. End of video. And people were like, buddy, you gotta tell us. I'm very... So I I remember that like after that happened, like a bunch of people were like, he's saying vampires, but he's saying the sweet blood of Jesus. So is it a remake of the blood of Jesus? Because I don't know what vampires do with that. And then somebody else went, is it... So maybe it's Ganja and Hess? And I remember somebody else being like, maybe... Is it? Is he just doing blackula? I don't know. He didn't tell us. He won't Does tell he us. Know? What the movie. I don't is. think. I don't think he knew. He drank That's forty acres think. worth of
3: liquor. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I. I. Oh my god. I. I. Oh. I. I met Spike once uh, at a at a party for the do I think anniversary, and it was one of the coolest things because he was just there, very chill, meeting everybody, just like shaking your head, like, hey, thanks for coming out, thanks for coming out there. And the DJ was playing like a bunch of Prince music. And then all of a sudden he shifted to something else. I couldn't tell you what it was, but you watch director mode spike snap in in a second. And all of a sudden this very chill guy just goes, Hey, 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 Prince. Put Prince back on. You oh, put dang. Prince back on. <laughs> and it and yeah. goes right back to tranquil. And I was just like, Oh, this was, this was more than I could have ever hoped for. <laughs> this was happening. <everything>. Right. <laughs> um, but in talking about, you know, with the, the title and, you know, just the familiarity with the film, because Tommy mentioned not knowing, like that was one of the things that was sort of interesting was I went through that slate article and, and to jump from within our gates to blood of Jesus and just kind of see mm-hmm. that, that shift. I mean, you know, Spencer Williams is a significant figure, but he does come at kind of the end of yeah the, the era of race films. And you can see that in his filmography, um, the uh, Pioneers of African-American Cinema box set that Kino Lorber did, which I, I implore folks to to pick up or check out if you have it. It's a great set. They did the one that was Pioneers, Women Filmmakers too. It's really great. But they kind of try and put it in chronological order. They include three films that Williams directed, and they're fascinating to watch as kind of a... I know he had the trilogy of spiritual films, one of which mm-hmm. is Lost, and the other one you guys covered yeah. on your podcast. But I... for a really interesting trilogy, uh, they include a short film he made... Called the Hot Biscuits, B I S K I T S.
1: First one is short. Yep, the ten minute one. Yeah,
2: yeah, and that is very much, uh, you know, relying on let's call them stock characters, right? Yeah. Let's, that's one, that's one way to put it. Um, it's certain, mm-hmm. but like it's it's made very conscious. I don't. It's tough to say, kind of, when you look at this stuff in this period of history, like we have. Uh, to get a little into like to talk about American film history or just American cultural history in general, the broader American like something like, you know, these, these stereotypical acts and quite frankly, the history of the minstrel show and all of that is just this albatross that hangs around the neck of cultural history in America. Right. It mm-hmm. is such a, it's such a component of so many things because it was just part of, you know, cultural saturation and in in so many angles right i mean when you look at something Mm -hmm. like hot biscuits and you're looking at that and you're like yeah these are these are stock characters that come out of that and to the same degree you know i remember um in college somebody talking about um bill robinson right and -hmm. saying like yeah the difficulty It was a lecturer that i was listening to saying he's like i can tell you the difficulty that anybody who like studies film and studies black film has with certain performers where you're like some of the things that they are doing or some of the roles that they are playing or some of these things you kind of you almost want to recoil in the modern sense but you're also like well this was but this was part of his act and this was part and he he took pride in his his dancing things like that and you know elements of stormy weather feel really progressive and other elements of that film kind of feel reductive hot biscuits is a is, a, is an interesting example of that right because you you have to kind mm-hmm. of sit back and take it in the context of like knowing what spencer williams was doing both in amos and andy and in his independent film outside of that you're like well this obviously plays into those kind of elements then you get to blood of jesus which is as you guys were talking about that was you know it was it was made like anybody could watch it but it was unapologetically black it was made for those audiences and then the third film in that trilogy is dirty Gertie of harlem usa where suddenly everybody in that movie is acting a lot more in the hollywood way right mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. directing his cast now and he's hiring more professional actors but he's directing his cast and now he's doing close-up shots of uh you know uh the the lead actors going i'll show them i'm the star he's shooting like traditional comedy bits that yeah. are like hollywood comedy bits and if you look at this film it's not to say it doesn't have comedy but it's not doing like Cliched Hollywood comedy like joke setups. You know, you do have the right. You know, running away from the baptism with the uh, you know the the, <laughs> the 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 spiritual song with the snake, is, which is great. I love that,
4: <laughs> but it's <laughs> not.
2: You know, by the time it gets to dirty, dirty it's like you almost feel that sense of like the idea of making these films specifically just for the audiences coming out to the revival tent, right? The the black mm-hmm. audiences is. Mm-hmm is gone it's or it's going to be gone soon you have to make it for white audiences um and a, an essay i read that i thought made an interesting point about the end of the race film era was kind of saying like you know obviously the push to kind of integrate hollywood and you know bring in you know have black directors directing mainstream hollywood films of course you know we love that but he said but you know there is something when you watch these race films and understand that they were making these films for a specific audience they kind of drew the comparison to uh, they said, you know, you, you almost have to think about in that interim between when the race mm-hmm. film died out in 1950, right, to they said even kind of now we're still struggling to get, you know, equity in Hollywood and, and to get more opportunities. But they, you know, the, they talked about the um the compelling element of like when you look at uh, August Wilson's fences kind of showing the alternate side of when the Negro Leagues fell apart and mm-hmm. all these talented ball players who were once playing to cheering stadiums mm-hmm. are now like, well, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's cool that Jackie Robinson, these guys are getting to play, the, you know, in the major leagues, but now I'm on a garbage truck. Like now, right? now right. getting to see a full, you know, baseball audience of, of people like me who are here to cheer me. Well, that's gone now. And I just think looking at Spencer Williams through that prism, too, of the idea of, like, that this film is one of the, the waning final objects of this period of, of independent filmmaking history that sort of, you know, falls apart uh, after that, I think is a really compelling way to the prism through which to view this film. I don't know how you guys feel about that element of its place in that history, but that was just something that I was, I was thinking of in that regard.
4: I, I I agree. I, I think the you, you know talking about what we do and we kind of look at all of this in a continuum, and this is something that I know rankles the feathers, ruffles the feathers of my partner. but I kind of parallel this with the career of someone like Tyler Perry, who you know very unapologetically made these films for this very specific, usually church-going Black audience that, as you said, it doesn't have the same rhythm, doesn't have the same beats. Arguably, it doesn't have the same polish and quote-unquote professionalism, but it's aimed at this audience. And regardless of, of how many of us grapple with those those metrics of professionalism, you can't argue that it kind of crackles with that energy that I think you see in these films you're talking about during this moment um of the race films. Even something like, you know, you know, what is it, Tubi? I never know how to pronounce it. Is it Tubi or Tubby? Tubi. Tubi. Where, you know, it's all this stuff on Tubi now and it's all funny, jokey, jokey. But there's something there.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, there's something there with that crackle that I, that that I that I think you're you're talking about. So, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I agree with you about Williams.
2: And you were, I mean, it, I, I, I do appreciate that, that comparison. I remember, um, I forget who it was now. I was listening to some comedian discussing Tyler Perry movies and saying, like, yeah, there's, it's always weird when you're watching a Tyler Perry movie and it's mostly like people in fat suits doing, like, you know, jokes. And then there will always be one scene where somebody goes, the Lord will take care of you. I of promise. Course. The Lord will oh, yeah. protect. And you're like, oh, right. right. Or when um, as if Viola Davis shows up for like five minutes and Medea goes to jail, I think it is, right? Is that it? <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh, oh it. yeah.
2: Yeah. You forget she's in that. Sophia Vergara is in that. That movie has a weirdly stacked cast for Medea yeah, goes to oh, jail. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, this is not, Medea goes to jail is not in the National Film Registry, at least not yet. Um, who knows? <laughs> I'm kidding. Obviously, Boo Two is getting in before any of them. There, obviously. Wow. Lest Boo we and and too. lest we think I'm taking I'm taking shots for no reason. They're all in these bins here somewhere. Don't worry. They're all they're all here. <laughs> no, he, um, he, Even the cartoon one. Even the cartoon one that I nobody know. saw.
1: That's sitting here somewhere. I am. I am. I am waiting for the right time to pull that off the shelf for us to review that cartoon (laughs) one. Because I caught it by accident one day just looking for black animated movies and I said is that Medea? is a cartoon? Oh my! It, 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 and I only watched it because I because I haven't watched every Medea movie, so I'm like, oh, he did like an animated opening for this movie. This is a very long <laughs> opening for a movie. Wow! I'm not even seeing any credits on this. Oh my god, it's a whole movie. <laughs> I, uh, this is a really strong weed.
3: <laughs> and I'm sure that animation was as top notch as Enter the Spider Verse.
1: Oh
2: scintillating <laughs> i it is a feast for the eyes it, it was, was robbed <laughs> um <laughs> i'm so, I, I need to get my head out of medigo's to jail and into no uh, no into no settings. you don't need to get it's, it no, no, no. It's he was, a,
3: he's it's quite he's a, not kidding there there was a long a longer
2: than needed stretch of could, time you could where watch he was my letterbox as i just obsessed. went through obsessed with it is, Medea. No, but it is. It is. But it wasn't just Medea. It is that fascinating thing. And it is Vincent, like you're saying, like there is something about, like, you know, the Tyler Perry film. And even when he was making the Netflix films, and people were like, "Oh, well, these wigs look terrible," and this and that, there is just mm-hmm. something fascinating about somebody, anybody, anybody in film today having that much cachet and that much clout that they can just go, "Fuck you." I'm going to do the things the way I do them and I am going to churn them out. Like this is not, yeah. you know, we were talking about Buster Keaton. Like when Buster Keaton was was had his as at his peak and he was just like, I am going to crank these movies out and I'm going to do them my way. And you're not, Joe Skank is not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do this this way. Like that is one of the things that is fascinating about, about his films in a way is like there is that like, indie filmmaker energy, even though you're like, man, you have so much money now. You have your own studio. Right. You it's... know, when you,
1: th- when you think about it, and oh, I can't believe I'm taking up for Tyler Perry, but you, <laughs> you, you are absolutely right, because I'm sitting here thinking you're right. The man has fuck you clout. Not fuck mm-hmm. you money. He's got fuck you clout. I'm gonna mm-hmm. make and do what I want. I want to make uh, a, a TV show that is basically the the West Wing only is on 52nd Street. Then yeah, I w- I can do that. I can make any type of movie. Medea comes back from hell. I can make any type of movie I want. I can. I, I we don't need a wig budget. I I learned how to make wigs off of YouTube. I'll make everybody's wig myself. Like he could do that. And I'm sitting here thinking, like you're right because say what you want. Martin Scorsese can't do that. Nope. He's still got to go out there looking for money. Woody Allen still has to go looking out for money. Like, even Steven Spielberg, who don't need to look at, to go out looking for money, he still does need money to make his movies. You know, he, he can't afford to spend his own money on his movie. Tyler Perry can afford to spend his own money on his movies because he knows he's going to make it back like that.
2: I mean, Francis Ford Coppola tried to do American zoetrope, bankrupted him forever. Meanwhile, Tyler yeah. Perry's like, "I bought land in Atlanta. I have built a White House. Why? In case I need a White House. In yeah. case you right. need it. That is insane." <laughs> I'm, I'm buying BET. Yeah, he's just that is what and, I'm doing dude. now. And God yeah, and, and God love him. Like again, you can like the films, you're not like the films. There's also the element of with Medea goes to jail, right? That is not a, the, the movie the parts of the movie that are not about Medea in prison yes. are as far from Medea being in prison as possible. It is a yes. drama about <laughs> a know. young man trying to get his childhood crush out of sex trafficking. But Tyler yeah, Perry why, knows. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm that, sorry. What? Yes, yes, yes. Tom, I'm oh, yeah. I am deadly serious. There, this movie is Oh my god. This movie is seventy percent give or take about like a young man trying to get his childhood crush out of sex trafficking and his fiance, not trusting him being around this woman. Cause she's a bad mm-hmm. type of girl. And also Viola Davis is a social worker trying to help. And 30% Marie. I mean, uh, Medea sharing a prison cell with Sophia Vergara and, <laughs> and threatening to shank people in prison. And he does this because he knows, and it does in a way kind of tie into what we're talking about. Um, with blood of Jesus The fact that he's taking money from these religious groups, that he's making religious films, but he's still like, I know that if I have a spiritual message, I can showcase these talented performers and contortionists and all of these people, right? In all of Mm -hmm. his films, he can showcase these people. It's the same (laughs) way, like, Tyler Perry knows, like, I want to make a drama about this topic, right? I want to make a drama about sex trafficking. Is he the guy to do that? Not so sure, but he wants to do it. And he (laughs) knows... If I put Medea in this movie, it's going to make money. All I need to do is, like, I want to do a drama about, like, family. And I want to do a drama about a family coming apart, right? And and sisters feeling betrayed. But if it's Medea's big happy family, it's mm-hmm. going to make money. And I can get you to come to the theater, just like his plays. I can get you to come to the theater, and I can get you to see... The kind of thing that if it didn't have me in a dress, you might say that's preachy. I can get you to come see that because you're going to enjoy me putting on the bald cap and the, you know, the, whatchamacallit, I forget the, the character's name. I don't know. When he puts on the old man makeup and he says he can't get direction no <laughs> Right, right, anymore. right. Like if he throws in two <laughs> jokes about this old horny man who's not attracted to, to Medea, like if he does three of those, you're going to sit down and listen to this drama about trafficking. Right, like that's the interesting element there in a way.
3: Well, I also think an interesting element of all that too is that he does all this shit, and I'm using shit in you know multiple ways here. Um, <laughs> but then out of then every now and then it's just like, oh, here he is in Gone Girl. Yes. Like, Where the yeah. fuck did this come from? Yeah. <laughs> I know uh, that is. <laughs> or he shows up in a Taylor Sheridan movie and he's like this really menacing villain. He's just like, what the fuck is this? What. what
2: you, you can do this? That's the weird thing. You've he been is, able to he, do this the whole time? He's a good actor. And then he's also doing this. I, th- I think he's good in Gone Girl. Len, you don't think I, he's, he's, he's good in Gone Girl. Girl? Len's making a face. He's, you don't the think black, he's-, he's the black guy in Gone Girl. That's what he is. <laughs> I mean, that's also... That, I'm not going to dispute that. It's not, ben well, right. I, it's not Ben Affleck. I'm not going to dispute that. Yeah. Uh, although it's, to be it's fair not, it's not know. neil patrick it's not neil patrick harris unless you watch undercover brother but that's a different story another film not yet I in the registry you're... Not yes. yet
3: well listen it's a, it's a <laughs> david fincher movie yeah. it's 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 lucky that he even got to a black person right. in the right. casting call by the time Gone girl came out right
4: then there's that
3: well now he just came <laughs> off a movie about what if norwegian people murdered each other yeah. and it's yeah. just like oh this is the whitest shit he's ever made and he's made white <laughs> shit I'm ra- he made a movie where Dwight Yoakam played a guy named Raul.
2: <laughs>
3: yes, if I- you've ever met someone named Raul, Dwight Yoakam is the man that comes to mind. I- you think about
4: Dwight Yoakam.
2: That's I'm right. gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, th- we're gonna get back to Blood of Jesus and and, and wind down. But I, now it's got me thinking, and I'm, I'm dead serious. And, and anybody jump in if I'm wrong, I don't remember Fincher's filmography great. Before Tyler Perry and Gone Girl, mm-hmm. was there a prominent black character in any of his films after Morgan Freeman and Seven?
4: Okay, I'm done. I was gonna say seven. That's what I'm saying. Like I'm it. genuinely like, well, no, he, like
2: he started off
4: good.
3: I mean, is loose when you're talking about Alien Three. You had Charles Dutton, mm-hmm. then you mm-hmm. get Freeman, and then nothing.
2: <laughs> then, Tyler and then, Tyler then Tyler Perry. And, Tyler- and, and then, then Tyler Perry and Gone Girl well, because
3: because you go, you get the game, Fight Club, whitest movie of all time. Yeah. Look at every dorm room. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Panic Room. Uh huh. Zodiac.
1: Well, Panic Room is Lawrence. Fitt- is um uh Forest Whitaker.
3: Oh right, yeah.
1: all right. Thank you. Okay, That's right here we go. Okay, yes, the, for- the right, Forgotten.
3: The Forgotten yeah. uh, Fincher, the only one not on. Uh, High def disc, which is really driving my OCD mind crazy. Yeah, I well, Mang Mang too, cause, but that's a Netflix thing, yeah, so Netflix you never, never. I was going to say
2: Panic Room is so long ago uh, that I'm pretty sure I watched it with my middle school girlfriend. Like that's how long ago Panic Room was. Humble <laughs> uh, <laughs> brag. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I made some great date night movie choices. Let me tell you. And it's I funny. Was, he says his was middle school.
3: He, he he's saying middle school girlfriend, but he is saying from last week. <laughs>
2: Oh. This is your new bit.
3: Yeah, you were, jot it done... down, Kyle. Tom, jot it Kyle, down, Kyle.
2: Tom. Tom has decided he's moving on from making fun of me for being overweight, and that's the direction you go with. I'll take the fat jokes again, Tom. Throw them back. <laughs> this. Let's go back to that. Anyway,
3: I blood mean, listen, Jesus. it's an
2: extension. Have you ever blood seen a Jesus. mugshot of a guy who dates middle schoolers? Blood of Jesus. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about blood of Jesus. Uh
1: Let's
2: go. <laughs> uh, I do. <laughs> I, I I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think this is, I I think this is nice though because I do think again having listened to your show, I do like that Len is is seemingly sitting here and going, looking at Tom and going, this is the level of antagonism I sometimes want to bring. This is the level of, this is sometimes, this is the level of. Uh, that's what's you know, I uh.
4: have to turn it up a little.
2: <laughs> Um, I do think that it's very, uh, to watch this film, and we haven't talked much about the other members of the cast in this film. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. I find it interesting uh, to watch this because as opposed to films that we're used to now where directors favor one particular acting style, right? They're casting for particular acting style. Obviously, Spencer's working on a small budget and he's working with amateur actors. So he's working Mm -hmm. with what he can get. And I don't mean that in, in a sense to say that I think I don't think there's anybody in this film who I would go like, they're bad. But what I do think is mm-hmm. there's different acting styles throughout this film in a way that like, you know, when we the, the lead actress is is uh, is one level of line delivery. one something. Obviously, Spencer's a much more polished actor. And then you right. have the women at the baptism who. Are <laughs> delivering it in a very. This is the way that. they... I mean, I. I don't mean to be too mean, but it's... like I put it as like their acting style is like when you go to see like. I'm bringing up middle school again, but I can't think of it. like you go to like a middle school play and there's kids playing adults, right? Like yeah. when you go to a middle school production of like Bye Bye Birdie and there's well, kids maybe. on the stage in like 50s adult clothes going, they said they're going to go down to the ice house with Conrad Birdie. We can't have that, um,
3: you well, know. That kind they, of thing. They're, they're, they're acting like extras in Dolomite or something, you know. But that is yeah. kind like of they're, a, yeah. they're like they're reading it off of it. Like, yes, this is exactly what we are supposed to be doing. Militant, turned Militant startled. Militant
2: startled. I was about to bring that one up. <laughs> I, think about, I think about that all the time. <laughs> uh, oh, Michael uh, J. Oh, Can't wait good.
3: for Outlaw Johnny Black.
2: What a guy!
4: Yeah, a couple of days away. Yeah. yeah, hell yeah! Can't. I need it.
2: Uh, um,
1: yeah. w- d- just to give uh, her her due. the The lead actress in this is Catherine uh, Cavanaugh. Yes. Um, I think th- another thing that you got to give Spencer Williams props for, or, and I don't know how deliberate it is, but in 1941 he does a m- movie with novice crew and cast uh gives the lead role to a, a woman who doesn't have much acting experience if any um but smartly there's not a lot of script there's not a lot of dialogue in this movie oh uh, yeah it, like this almost could be like a silent film yeah um because i mm. mean every, everything gets off with with looks glare or people walking um I think that is smartly done so so they're not tripped up by having to emote or anything like that. Um, so yeah, everybody's acting is all over the place, but at the end of the day, you you can tell just from the opening where you just see this church congregation just making their way to the water um, that you're also kind of looking at a bit of a slice of life. Yeah. You know, you're looking at how life in this rural afro african-american almost like village where they're where they are um got down back in those days and you're kind of like it's almost like documentary footage um it's like almost like documentary found footage like oh my god here and here they are at baptism um so well
2: because so cool. much i mean that's the thing i was talking about it recently with somebody on a, on a different topic but um about the idea of like Part of why the National Film Registry is so great with the things that they preserve. I mean, obviously, we were just talking about some of the films they don't get to for a while. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a couple years ago, they inducted a film called Ringling Brothers Circus Film. Did you guys come across this? No. It's, it's mm-hmm. worth checking out. I don't know if you guys could fill a whole episode on it, but uh, I don't know how we're going. to. It's not only so a, silent, a silent, silent film. It's like 30 seconds long. Um, but it's, uh, it's footage of a Ringling Brothers Circus parade. Uh, From like 1908, something like that, 1910. But the Mm -hmm. reason it got preserved is because the parade is going through a black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And on the sidewalks, you are seeing a black neighborhood with the people dressing and and obviously acting because it's documentary footage, just going about their lives and how hard it is to actually find... Filmed, documented right. footage of of not just black people, but a whole black neighborhood going about their business, going about their lives. Normally, yeah. so much of and this came up because I, it's the complicated as we were talking about, you know, the the complicated thing of like you know some of these racial racist elements of American culture, like just are an albatross around the neck of cultural study. Um, looking at, I was uh, reading something that Henry Louis Gates was writing. Uh, he wrote an introduction to a collection of the Joel Chandler Harris. Uh, uncle remus stories mm-hmm. and talking about like from an anthropological perspective like the frustration of kind of going here are these stories that to the best we can tell probably did originate you know within these because like you can talk to people who knew like vaguely stories of of brer rabbit alongside like the stories of the signifying monkey and things like that but best record we have of them written record was right. a white guy yeah making right. up a character and then also absolutely changing so many elements of these things mm-hmm. right. you know um so right. that now like to read the you know the stories that Joel Chandler has published you know and the Brer rabbit stories and all that and reading it from the context of like well these are stories about how you should stay put and the question mm-hmm. of like okay were that were those how these stories were conceived right and was it done as like a a warning being passed on at the time or were these different stories did they have different messages and this joel chandler harris guy went in and was like well we can't be saying that we can't have that happening so why don't we make it that old brer rabbit just decides to go home um right so when you're talking about that element with this and like getting to see, you know, it like almost like a documentary, getting to see people go about their business, even though it's, this film is certainly not a documentary. Um, mm-hmm. As far I, to the best of my knowledge, uh, I don't believe that that was the actual devil in this film. I don't know, no. but I don't, I can't, <laughs> I don't believe. Um, but, but you do get so many elements in the periphery of like, well, you can see mm-hmm. how people lived and, and, and you can see how people dressed and how, not just how they behave, but also how they wanted to be perceived. And that's just as important in some ways.
3: Well, you just, with a movie like this, so, so cheap and so independent and so strung together with just the best intentions, you you can't help but just see the reality creeping in. You know, I mean, you even see it today when people make independent movies that are really super cheap and whatever, you know. At a certain point, you really are just like, all right, well, we're going to make a movie, but we're using just what we have. We are not making right. really anything up. We are just going to, um, you know, the the big, uh, we went through a big independent phase, what, 15 years ago with the mumblecore thing, which was just mm-hmm. people being like, hey, like, we're going to film in our apartments You know, uh, Noah Baumbach does does Francis Ha and everything. It's just like you know, we're gonna just bounce around her apartment, people's apartment. You know, kind of just gonna do what we can. And at that point, reality's gonna creep in. You know, and that's kind of the best. It's honestly as much as like, I don't necessarily know if this is the kind of movie that uh, would uh, play so well with a modern audience. But I think it will at least give people an interesting insight into just a world that you know, like Michael saying, we don't really have much footage of, and gives it a different flavor than something else you might see at the time. You know, I think it's just, I just, I just love watching shit like this. And, you know, um, and to just that, getting thrown into a new world.
2: And the last thing I'll I'll say on it as we wind down, but like to that degree, one thing I think is interesting: this film was lost for a long time, mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like so many of the films we cover where you could did, go... Did it take well, a wrong turn in the afterlife? Yes, that's exactly what happened. And it wound up in a Texas warehouse. But um, but the thing that's interesting is, even though I can't say for certain that some of the films that I thought of while watching this had ever seen this film, right? You're still looking at this. And, you know, we talked about the sequence where, you know, uh, where the guy is running set to that, you know, uh, the chariot's coming, spiritual... And I was looking at it and a part of my brain like went like, weirdly, this feels like the proto version of the the come on feet sequence in sweet, sweet back. Right. Mm. That same mm-hmm. kind of energy. And the one that really struck me, this film was lost. Right. It is highly unlikely that it would have been seen uh, by this filmmaker. But when in Blood of Jesus, she's standing by the window. Right. She's in her white nightgown standing by the window, kind of in half silhouette. There is an almost identical shot in Killer of Sheep. Another like lost film. Interesting. When when they're yeah. dancing to this bitter earth. It's the mm-hmm. same frame. Yeah. But again, this yeah. film was was lost. I don't know. You know, it's 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 just unlikely that th- th- yeah. that there would have been that, but it's still in the DNA there in such an interesting There's way. Th- right.
3: There there were right. two things that two stories that jumped into my mind from visual stuff in this movie and it's the same visual it's the you know jesus in the ceiling and the blood dripping down and everything um i 100 percent believe Scorsese he had this in mind when he was doing stuff in silence i mean mm. there is some just straight up visual stuff that is very reminiscent of that that in silence um and i i don't know if this guy would have seen it but Coming up in a very Catholic society in the 70s and 80s and all of that. Maybe showed it at Catholic school one day. Mike, do you remember season two of Rescue Me?
2: I mean, I remember it existed.
3: I, don't, I remember I couldn't season
1: two of Rescue Me.
3: Where he's hallucinating Jesus and there are scenes where he's drunk and re- like hung over in bed and he's looking up and Jesus is yes. above him yes. and bleeding on him. Yes, yes.
1: Oh,
4: I
3: remember, wow. I remember that. Yeah, I when I saw this for the first time, I was like, did fucking Dennis Leary see the blood <laughs> of Jesus and was just like, I need to use that for the season where fucking Tommy Gavin hits rock bottom. I was like what the f-? like, that's crazy if he did. I, I mean, like I said, he grew up in Boston in the 70s and 80s. Who know if one of these dioceses had it, a fucking tape of it or film reel and showed it during class or something?
1: I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Something tells me Dennis Leary didn't see the blood of Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Something tells me that he saw the blood of Jesus, though. Back (laughs) in Boston. (laughs) Uh, Oh
2: yeah, definitely. Vincent Len, as we wind down, did you guys have any sort of last thoughts you wanted to add on this film in particular? This title.
4: I love that it exists. I love that it's in the registry. I love that. I love that this conversation around these films by Spencer Williams exists. Again, the, we talked about him going into the registry before Oscar Michelle in 91. And I feel like it's almost a version of that Hollywood stereotype that there can only be one black guy. And Oscar Michelle has replaced him as the one black guy from this period. So I love that you have, again, this conversation between the two filmmakers that you can talk about because of a film like this.
1: I'm just glad that there's a movie out there called The Blood of Jesus that can uh, erase the memory of watching The Sweet Blood of Jesus from my DNA. Oh. Dude, <laughs> that movie.
3: That was, I... That was really, honestly, at that point, it was just like spike buddy maybe yeah maybe hang up the fucking cleats man you gotta (laughs) you i mean hell he he rebounded pretty hard love his last three movies but at that point you were just like jesus christ do you like joe montana after you left the 49ers or something like what are we even (laughs) doing here man holy shit i
2: that
3: was that's also funny of just like because not knowing anything about this movie and going in i'm like all right is this gonna be like give me some insight into why he named his Ganja and Hess remake, the sweet blood of Jesus. Right. And right. no, it didn't give me any insight no, at all. Not. It made me even
2: more confused <laughs> no, it's just, than I already was. The, the <laughs> one thing about Spike, when you read anything, he's written anything. The one thing you realize is like that, that man's brain is just an encyclopedia of film history. And he'll just pull out titles or references and just toss them in where you're like, where it's, it is. I mean, obviously I'm going to bring up a filmmaker who, they have a, a a contested religion. It is similar to the Quentin Tarantino thing where you're like either man, you look at and go, how do you remember this type? How do you remember this movie existing? How do you just right. casually in conversation, just pull out a movie that is sitting in a Warner archive unseen for 30 years?
3: Yeah. 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 So uh, I saw this movie at a Kentucky drive-in when I was 12 yeah, exactly. and mm-hmm. nobody has ever right, heard right. it. And it's just like, Dude, what are you fucking talking You're talking about some Filipino action movie about a one-armed Interpol yeah. cop yeah. seeking revenge on drug deal? What the <laughs> fuck are you talking about?
2: Um but and but Spike I remember when he put out his syllabus for his classes uh, at NYU and I remember he had just the name of the film and not the filmmaker and he put Black Rain and I was like I genuinely don't know if this is like the, you know, the the Japanese art film or if this is the Ridley Scott Michael Douglas on a motorcycle yeah. movie. Because with Spike, who knows? <laughs> really, he could have an argument for either. God bless him. Um, I was about to say. With that said, uh, as we always do, this is a pretty uh, pretty easy one. Tom, how do you think Spencer Williams' The Blood of Jesus fared at the Oscars that year?
3: A big old goose egg.
2: Correct, but uh, for reference, the Best Picture nominees that year uh, were Blossoms in the Dust, Citizen Kane, Here Comes Mr. (coughs) Jordan, Hold Back the Dawn, The Little Foxes, The Maltese Falcon, One Foot in Heaven, Sergeant York, Suspicion, and the winner, How Green Was My Valley. Now, of those Mm. films, Citizen Kane, The Maltese Falcon, Sergeant York, and How Green Was My Valley are all in the National Film Registry. We've actually already covered two out of the three of those films. I'm sorry, uh, three out of the four of those films. Uh... This uh, so far this year, but you know, the other one, Blood of Jesus, did make it in before Sergeant York. Just you know, worth noting there. It did, it did beat that one out. There you
4: go.
3: There there, there you go. Indeed. Um, just I, I just just want one more to say one more thing because I was as we were talking, some other ideas were coming into my head and about how this is important in terms of independent film and everything. And there are two names you think of. I think for the most part, when you talk about independent film john cassavetes and george romero Mm -hmm. i think it's very interesting that this movie gets into the registry before night of the living dead um another Mm -hmm. movie that's very important in independent filmmaking and also you know it's it's george romero's white but the whole casting of Dwayne jones element of it giving it this uh socio-political context that wouldn't have been there if he cast a white guy uh i think it's interesting it gets in there before that and uh cassavetes gets a movie in before this woman under the influence but his first movie was a a very 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 independent movie about interracial relationships in new york city in 1958 gets in there before that i don't even i don't think it's even in but Uh, like shadows shadows is in it's in okay yeah we'll be
2: we'll be covering we'll be covering shadows in like two seasons. no two seasons something like that (laughs) no trust me tom as you know with me I prepare myself for when I've got Cassavetes to talk about.
3: Yeah, he doesn't I, like Cassavetes. I, just, uh, I, I, I do. He's yeah, rough. But I, I do myself. just think it's uh, it's, it's a very interesting how it gets in before that, before Night of Living Dead. And it kind of just, you know, as we were talking about before, about broadening what the canon is. Um,
4: mm-hmm.
3: Black people are maybe the most important figures in independent cinema, and it's kind of like not really... I feel like talked about, you know, Dwayne Jones and Night of the Living Dead, Casavettes using, you know, with shadows. This, I mean,
1: you know, yeah, I hear you, but hearing that, that makes me all the more appreciative that the blood of Jesus did get it exactly. Yeah.
3: No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what that's what it makes it even yeah. more like. Yeah, like you would think about those two, but those two probably wouldn't exist without this showing true. that you could get right. there, you know. So, you know, you got to give credit to the forebearers in this in this industry, and that's why, as much as I don't like doing homework, I do like doing the show because <laughs> I like seeing where all the building blocks of cinema come together. I can't just keep thank watching you. Jimmy Wang Yu movies all day.
2: <laughs> well, Vincent, Len, thank you guys so much for doing this. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, Before you head out, if you want to please throw out any plugs, tell folks where they can find the Michelle Mission. I know you've got a bunch of different places to check it out, and if you have anything else you want to plug while we're here. Hey, you can check out
1: the Michelle Mission Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made, wherever you find podcasts, and that's Michelle, And M-I-S-S-I-O-N. We're also available on all your social medias. You can always find us like us and follow us and subscribe to the me show mission on youtube and hit the bell so you can be notified when our show we do our live stream every tuesday night and notify when we put up new videos and thank you very much for having us on we really appreciate it this was a lot of fun
2: absolutely yeah thank you
1: it was our pleasure this we we had a great time
2: absolutely guys thank you so much and and uh, we hope to have you back sometime but everybody else stick around we'll be right back with our picks for the
0: national film registry the national film registry isn't some fixed object frozen in time it's always growing adding new titles every year these annual selections are made by the national film preservation board with members and representatives from organizations like the academy the dga and the afi coming together to debate and decide but they don't just pull titles out of thin air They pull from the public, people like you and me, who can submit their nominations for the registry in the form on the Library of Congress's website. What we do, at the end of every episode, is have Mike and Tom pick films not yet in the registry that they feel should be, inspired by that day's topic. At the end of each season, those films will be formally submitted to the National Film Registry for consideration on behalf of who are missing out. The only criteria? It must be an American film that's at least 10 years old. Here are today's picks.
3: okay so there was really only one pick for this for me um i mean i guess if you want there was four movies i could have picked from but there was really only one when it comes to this movie a amateurish independent spiritually uh focused movies uh from the african-american community um and I mentioned it in the episode. We got to get some Rudy Ray Moore in the in the registry. And Rudy made a movie where Rudy plays pimp who fights the devil. That's right, folks. Petey Wheatstraw absolutely needs to be in the registry. Dolomite should be in the registry before this. I understand completely. But if we're we're talking about pairings, I would. <laughs> i would love to do a double feature especially at a church too like let's get let's trick some church folks into this let's get a double feature spiritual night we'll watch the the blood of jesus and we'll roll into Petey wheat and i want to see what people think when when rudy ray moore is trying to fight the devil to keep his devil pimp cane so he can be the most powerful it's it's Rudy, Every Rudy Ray Moore movie, I saw um, Disco Godfather in theaters with Mike, and every Rudy Ray Moore movie is, is always an experience where you just go, wow, that is fucking special. And Petey Weichdor is no different. Petey Weichdor needs to be in the registry. Rudy Ray Moore, do not be a rat-to-beaten, no-good, insecure-born motherfucker and ignore Rudy Ray Moore even further, Petey Weichdor. Put it in.
2: So in in my case, I was thinking about uh, Spencer Williams, and we were talking about Blood of Jesus. Spencer Williams had a game before Oscar Michaud. Oscar Michaud has a number of films in the registry. Spencer Williams only has the Blood of Jesus. But as I talked about in the episode, he's got three films that kind of function as a trilogy, uh, and one I alluded to is Dirty Gertie from Harlem, USA, uh obviously it is a much kind of trying to play to a much broader audience as i talked about in the episode there's a lot of hollywood-esque acting in it and it does have a and it does have a lot of that post haze code moralizing um including our main character kind of meeting a tragic end a la carmen jones but um it's remarkable both for Spencer Williams' work as a filmmaker, as well as his cameo in drag, which, uh, to evoke our uh, Medea-Tyler Perry conversation earlier, he does appear in the role in drag, but but really it's remarkable for the lead role played by Francine Everett, who is just exceptional in this movie. It's a... 1946, it's a fascinating piece of, like, the real tail end of the race film, and you really see where things start to shift, Um, but it's it's a great picture, and I think Spencer Williams should have another film in the registry. I think Francine Everett's performance is incredible, and I think it's just, there are a lot of, there are a few films, I shouldn't say a lot, there are a few films from kind of the race film era that do get talked about a lot, like Within Our Gates, like A Body and Soul, like A Blood of Jesus. Dirty Gertie from Harlem, USA isn't part of that conversation as much, but it absolutely should be, so that is my pick for the registry. Dirty Gertie from Harlem, USA. Let's all go to the lobby, lobby,
0: lobby. Thank you again to Vincent and Len for joining us. Next week, it's our final film of season three. Mike, Tom, and I will be discussing another Buster Keaton classic, 1924 Sherlock Jr. Don't forget to follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Here on You're Missing Out. I honor movies of historical, cultural, or aesthetic importance
4: on the National Film Register.